Hi, my name is Kim Wilkins, and I'm a graduate student at the School of Education at the University of Virginia. I'm studying curriculum and instruction with a focus on innovation and computer science education. This series of podcast episodes is all about bringing computer science education research into the K-8 classroom. Hello, Jared. How how are you doing today? Uh, Hoping I just have allergies, uh, but otherwise I'm doing pretty good. I really appreciate you joining me today. You have inspired me to do uh, a podcast, so thank you. You are a podcast host yourself, and you also just share a lot of resources. I really appreciate and um, you know enjoy everything that you create, but could you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, so I guess professionally, I am the Director of Education and Research at Buddha Professional Development, which is a nonprofit. And whenever I say that, I usually have to say that it is boot up, not Buddha, because sometimes I think it's like Buddhism or something. So we help people get into uh, elementary computer science and coding. So we provide professional development, and then I create 100% free coding curricula. Yeah. I I mean, you just share share so much. Um, You want to also do a little pitch for your podcast? Yeah, sure. So the CSK8 podcast is an ad-free podcast that interviews awesome guests like Kim and does some unpacking scholarship episodes where I take a paper and talk about what are potential implications for CS educators. Yeah. Well, obviously I got a little bit inspired by what I'm doing um, with this particular series is uh, breaking down some of the CS education papers that I've, I've actually used in research and getting to talk to the researchers or people who are involved in the research to find out sort of where did these questions come from? How did the research proceed? trying to also make it more accessible to K-8 educators, because I feel like Mm. that there's sometimes this gulf between what's happening in the research world and what's happening in the real life practitioner world. So thank you for joining me. We're going to be talking about a paper called Measuring the Effect of Continuous Professional Development on Elementary Teachers' Self-Efficacy to Teach Coding and and Computational Thinking. So that's a lot. (laughs) My first episode was with my advisor, Jenny Chu, where we kind of broke down the elements of uh, a research paper. And, you Mm. know, we spent a lot more time on titles than one would imagine. (laughs) Yeah, I'm surprised there's not a colon in there and then another mouthful of a uh, sentence. (laughs) Right, right. So first of all, what was the impetus for this particular research project and how were you involved? So we've been doing research on Budup's professional development since we started a few years ago. And so we've been having Peter Rich in, uh, at BYU to act as an external evaluator and just kind of assessing how are we doing? So basically what we're trying to figure out over the last few years, every year is, well, how's our PD? Like, where could we improve? What's working really well? And what is something that is like, eh, that's not really as valued among teachers as we thought. Or maybe they don't really understand a particular concept or practice or whatever, as well as we thought that they did. So that was the point of this particular research. So this paper was for the 2018-2019 school year. And so when we talk about this, I'm going to try and remember what we were looking at then, because we've done more studies since then. And we like recently had a, a full report for this prior school year. So I will try and forget about that. Uh, well, I think that could, inf- that could inform, right? I mean, I feel like mm. what, you, what you've done is obviously informing where you're going. So I don't think you have to <laughs> completely erase it from your memory. <laughs> cool. 
Yeah. So my role in this particular research at the time was it was more of external, just kind of, hey, here are some of the questions that we think are interesting that we would like to learn more about. And then Peter would kind of go and do the the surveys and uh, now doing research uh, by doing interviews and things like that. So it was more hands off. And then when it came to writing the paper, it was assisting with the writing process, the editing, things like that. But um, my role now is more involved with doing the research side of things. So at the time that this study was conducted, I think I was only focusing on curriculum. Well, that's good to know, though, as well, that um, even if you're just starting to get or you want to do your own research and you want to get a university or you know somebody involved, you, that can help you dive deeper into the process. You don't have to dive in you know, all the way to start with, right? right? So I found it interesting. So another piece of a research project uh, paper that we talked about is the literature review, which mm-hmm. I did not realize prior to starting the EDD program, like how important that is to actually go out and see what's actually been done before and how that fits in with where you want to take uh, your research questions and your, and your research uh, forward. And I thought it was really interesting studies that highlighted that PD that prepared uh, teachers to code and do computational thinking often improve their self-efficacy, but not necessarily their knowledge or understanding. And I thought that was so interesting. Yeah. And we also need to consider that a lot of the research that you'll see out there is not on continuous professional development in CS. So this is where like this particular study is different. So bootups model tends to be about a two or three year implementation. So we, when we provide professional development, it's not like a one-off workshop in the summer and then cool, you're, you're done. You know, everything you need to know about CS we'll never see you again. It's not that. So what we end up doing often is like going out maybe once a quarter and providing in-person PD and then doing on-site visits. This was pre-COVID where we would basically model in the classroom, here's what we were learning yesterday in our PD, and here's what it looks like with your kids. And what we have found is that works really well, because when we come back the following quarter, teachers had time to actually try and implement something. And then they come with some questions. Hey, I tried this thing, and I don't understand how to get kids to do A, B, or C. Can you help me with that? And so we, when we come back over multiple years, it really helps develop the sustainability especially because we're working with what we call like an instructional coach who over time, like gradually takes on more of a role in doing the PD. And by the end, they ideally can kind of do this on their own. So this approach is very different than other research models where it's often like, hey, you spent a weekend working on this thing and then you're done. And so it's not Mm -hmm. necessarily surprising that teachers don't learn much about CT because they're likely overwhelmed with just learning too many things in a compressed amount of time. Right. And then they might not practice it afterwards enough. Right. Yeah. So I know we'll, we'll uh, get to this later, but let's say you're a teacher and you don't have access to that kind of continuous professional development. Are there ways that you could recommend how uh, a teacher, if they're interested in computer science and computational thinking, what they can do themselves to kind of mimic that? Yeah. So I, all my degrees are actually in music education. So I took a class in high school, uh, computer science. It was C++. And then it wasn't until, I think it was like one of the last semesters that I was in grad school that I happened to take a a class that I audited that was on creating music programs with a graphical programming language. The rest of it I learned on my own. So like going through YouTube tutorials or like courses on like Udemy or things like that. 
there's so much free content out there on how to learn how to program any given language that you want. So like I've learned Ruby, I've learned Java, I've learned JavaScript, I learned C++, I learned Scratch, Swift, like et cetera. And pretty much all of those was self-taught. So as long as you have time, you can find a ton of free resources out there. Now, being an educator, you're likely going to find that they're not necessarily the highest quality instruction. But mm-hmm. if you approach it from like a multi-perspectivalist approach where you're like, okay, I want to learn from different people on the same language or same platform, then it can really kind of help fill in the gaps. Like, oh, this person's really great at explaining this aspect of something, but this other person explained this other thing that wasn't mentioned. So kind of more roll your own personalized course, but it does mm-hmm. require a little bit more research and things. Awesome. With this particular uh, paper, it used something called a mixed method design which meant that you gathered survey data that was quantitative data and then qualitative data through, I'm guessing, interviews, I think, if I remember correctly. So we are doing interviews now. Like I think it's like a week and a half from now, I'll start actually doing some of those interviews with some of our teachers. But I think for this particular survey, it was responding to some open prompts. Oh, yeah. Um, But I don't remember... 100% 100% for this one because it was a couple of years ago. And we wrote yeah. this paper like over a year ago, I think. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Things keep moving. Yeah. But I think that that's an interesting way to do things. And that's a, a method that I like is survey day that you can quantify and then kind of using the open, more open ended things to sort of prove what you're finding in the data and give real life examples, right? Yeah, I, there's sometimes in the academic world, the like these camps that come up where it's like, oh, I only do quantitative research or I only do qualitative research and I don't do anything else. And it's like the method should not determine what you do. It should be the questions that determine what method you end up using to understand the questions that you have. And when it comes to like a true mixed method design, it usually leads with like some kind of a quantitative analysis, trying to understand what are some correlates or some potential causations that are going on, but then diving deeper and actually going up to the participants and asking questions by engaging in interview processes or open-ended prompts and things like that to like clarify like, hey, we think that this is a correlated with this other thing. The stats are saying that like everything looks cool, but we actually want to know what your perspectives are because maybe it's like completely different and we hadn't considered it. Yeah, I thought I had um, copied the research questions, but I hadn't, so I'm looking them up here. But the research questions for this paper are, how did participation in continuous professional development influence elementary teachers' self and teaching efficacy for coding and computational thinking? So that's one. Two, what computational thinking and coding concepts did teachers learn the most easily? And which concepts did teachers still struggle with after a year of training? And three, how confident were teachers in their ability to promote computational perspectives and practices after a year of teaching coding? So how, wh- why were those the, the things of interest at the time? Do you, do you recall? Yeah. So one of the reasons why like, it's, it's hard for me to give a very succinct answer is uh, one, because this was a couple of years ago, but two, this was just a small slice of the pie of what we were actually looking at. So mm-hmm. we also actually had some computational thinking tests that students took pre and post. We also had uh, tests that some teachers took, but those tests were not included in this particular report. And when we had initially submitted for review, they said, hey, it looks like you're looking at too many different things because we had, I think, two more research questions on there that address those other areas. And so we're like, all right, fine, we're happy to trim this down. So we ended up narrowing it down to this. 
So this, again, was just trying to see how effective our PD was with developing confidence, because unlike other areas, most of the teachers who go into teaching computer science and coding don't have a background in it, like have never taken a class on it, have never seen it, et cetera. So they can't like go through that apprenticeship of observation, which I think Lordy talks about and like go, oh, I've seen this taught when I took math class for like 10 plus years at my schooling. So I can at least do something similar because it's programming. They're going into this going, well, I can like barely handle like my computer or projector or whatever. How am I going to teach kids how to program? And this is like really high sense of uh, difficulty that is false because we we help like pre-K and kindergartners like learn how to do this thing. So like you as an adult with degrees, you can learn it too. But right. they, they assume, oh, I can't do this thing. And, and so what we wanted to really look at for this particular slice of the pie was how confident are teachers after having done PD for one year in a two to three year process. Yeah. So there's a lot to unpack about what you said. One was how, and this is something I'm learning too. I, there's so many things that I want to figure out why they are the way they are. And so oftentimes, but in research, you really have to break it down into very specific <laughs> you know, concrete things. And so I'm definitely feeling that, uh, that sort of practitioner lens of, I just want to figure it out. Like, I just need to help figure it out. I need to help others figure it out. And it's this big thing, but from a research perspective, you really have to break it down. So you're, uh, you don't have too many variables and you're, you know, really measuring the thing you think you're measuring. So I think that's an interesting uh, dynamic there, but you can also build on, right? So what you, what you did what you all did, it sounds like you just kept building on the research and now you have like a bigger package or picture of it. Yeah. And we do like, Peter will do like a full report at the end of each year that talks about all of these different areas that are not included in this particular slice of the pie. But that, that was something that I also worked with, like with my advisors when I was outlining like what I want to do for my dissertation. They're like, that's, that's a career's worth of material that you want to do. I was like, oh, I want to do this and then I want to follow with this thing. And then I'm going to go. They're like, those are like five different studies that you could do over the course of like a decade. So just pick one thing and really dive deep into that. And so that was part of the feedback that we got with when we initially submitted this, which is, hey, focus on just the self-efficacy. Yeah. So a couple other details in it that I wanted to ask you about. One, it looked like a lot of the teachers you work with were computer lab or library media specialists. So kind of already at least primed a little bit to do more of this kind of stuff. You did have classroom teachers as well, but do you find that those computer lab and library media specials are a little bit more primed to do um, computational thinking, or is that something I'm making up? It depends on the district. So if I'm remembering correctly for this subset of districts, because we've like more than doubled the amount of districts that we're working with, the, the, the lab technicians were actually paraprofessionals. In, in, the, in a couple of those districts. So while they might have been more comfortable using the computer, pedagogically, they were not comfortable. So they may have had like a higher self-efficacy for learning a concept or things like that, but they did not have a higher concept for how to teach that concept. Got so it was actually lower than some other districts because they were paraprofessionals who didn't have a background in education. But then you might find the inverse with like a classroom teacher where they're like very comfortable teaching. They're like, yeah, I can teach but I don't necessarily know what the content is. So with this group, it was a mixed bag. And having worked with districts across the country, we kind of see that as well. Depending on what the background are for educators, it will have an impact on this. So if you're an administrator and you're trying to figure out, well, who's going to teach computer science or coding in the classroom, 
who you select for that is going to have like a dramatic impact on that. Like how, Mm -hmm. how much experience do they have teaching? How much experience do they have with technology or in a lab setting? How much experience do they have potentially integrating if that's the path that you choose to do, et cetera? Yeah, I think another thing that I saw in it is that I think it was a library media specialist because they had dedicated time and it might have been longer periods of time mm-hmm. that they that students got more computer science with them versus the in-classroom teachers. And like that makes sense to start with. But I also wonder, like I'm all about integrating. So that's where like my focus is. And I wonder over time if those once those classroom teachers become more and more comfortable with that kind of switch, like would you you would think that kids would have more access in their classroom if their teacher, you know, got that level of confidence and practice and stuff. Pre-COVID, I would have said yes, like without a doubt, just with more experience with it, teachers will figure it out. But because of COVID, I don't think teachers in this last year and a half have had that ability to put in the time outside of school. So like I've learned several different programming languages while I was teaching, but I don't have kids. And I, I have a supportive wife, all we've got are dogs. So like, I don't have all these external pressures and whatnot that made it so that on weeknights and on weekends and so-called breaks, like I was learning different programming languages and many teachers don't have that kind of luxury to do that. So I honestly don't know, especially after COVID, if teachers are going to be able to find the time unless administrators make the time during the day to learn it and like time for professional development, even if it's like independent professional development, doesn't need to be with like an organization like ours. It could be just, hey, on your own, here's an hour a week that you have to learn how to teach programming and how to integrate it into your classroom. Yeah, that's a really good point. I feel like the, you know, one thing I think COVID helped with was getting sort of everybody moved toward more being being more technologically savvy. But then it also had this other effect of no time for anything else. So, you know, maybe eventually we'll catch up to that and be able to take advantage of that. Uh, Cause it sure seems like, you know, something that would be good for us, especially us teaching computer science and computational thinking to have teachers that are so much more comfortable with technology now. Yeah. And I, I guess one critique that I would give that I've seen some administrators do, and I understand that their hands are tied. They've got a lot on their plate. It's hard being an administrator. Totally get that. But there are some admin that I've seen who'd kind of like pay lip surface to say like, hey, we do this thing. But really, it's like we do a family code night once a semester. Or yeah, we do programming in our school, but maybe it's like once a month for an hour. That's not going to get you anywhere. And I say that as somebody who studied like skill acquisition and expertise. So like, It was popularized by Malcolm Gladwell in in the book Outliers, like the whole idea of the 10,000 hour rule. It's not a rule and it's not actually 10,000 hours. It depends on the domain. So Gladwell is actually citing somebody named Kay Anders Erickson. And the research basically shows like if you want to understand something and get good at it, you have to invest the time. And it's going to take a lot of time, several thousand hours at the bare minimum. Some domains like to become a professional musician, it's closer to like 20 plus thousand hours in order to do this. So if we want to get kids to learn literally a language and understand these new concepts or ways of thinking and ways of creating, we have to invest the time in it. And if it's even an hour a month, that's just not going to be enough time. If you do it from kindergarten through 12th grade, that's 13 years, but only in an hour, uh, once a month, it's not going to happen. So one of the things that I'm kind of happy that the, the results kind of came out this way is that the teachers who put in more time consistently were more confident than the teachers who put in less time inconsistently throughout the school year. 
So in the area of their growth incompetence, it seems what they cited were the professional development itself, and then that experience actually teaching in the coding in the classroom and having access to resources. So those are, you know, if you're looking to grow your confidence, those are three areas that, you know, you can do and just just trying it out. I think there was, I think, don't think it was this study, but it was another study I cited from Peter Rich that had, was something about, you know, if you just even started teaching coding, like even if it was, you know, you, you your confidence mm. was low <laughs> and maybe even your self-efficacy was low, but you just dove in and started, that would have a huge impact on your self-efficacy going forward. Yeah. I don't know if any listeners can relate to this, but like when learning something new, I will sometimes have this like pre-learning anxiety or like, oh, wh- wh- what's going to happen? Like, I have no idea what to expect. And like, it kind of like sets this expectation. And then when you actually go into it, it's like, oh, that's not as scary as I thought it was going to be. And that was something from day one that we saw with teachers when they're going into PD, some of these districts, they literally didn't know that they were going to start teaching coding until they showed up for PD. And we have like since changed things with admin and be like, no, you need to make this explicitly clear well in advance. It's not going to be when they show up to PD because that's not going to go well. But like to show up and then to just see, oh, you're dragging blocks into an order and it's okay if you make mistakes, like things like that. It just makes it so much easier for teachers who might just be afraid. And then when they actually try it with students, especially because the approach that we use, it's all about interest-driven learning. It's about kids creating stuff. It's not just solving puzzles one way. It's, hey, here's a theme. Let's create 30 different projects that are related to this theme, et cetera. And when teachers realize that they can give up that control, if you want to call it that, and have kids just create and they walk around and facilitate. And then they go, oh, that's not as scary as I thought it was going to be. This is just something that I haven't tried or seen modeled before. Yeah. And I think it's that, it's that unknown, right? There, there's not a and this is going to be the answer <laughs> at the end right. of the time that you do this. It's, this is going to be answer. It's not, it's going to be lots of different answers, lots of different creations, lots of different things. Um, so, it, it, you know, it requires that mindset as well. So that leads right into the next thing I was going to talk about was the successes. So the successes that they acknowledge most often were student interest. Like it just seemed reading through a lot of the quotes, you know, that was what hooked the teachers. Like once they mm-hmm. did it and then they had that huge student buy and they're like, oh my gosh, I need to be doing this. Yeah. And that was by design. So I was happy to see that that was just kind of came out of the discussions with the teachers and even with students, which wasn't included in this particular study. But the curriculum itself that I create is 100% centered around student interest. So it's not focusing on like a backwards design with standards, like, hey, we need to be able to understand this thing. It was, hey, let's start with what kids are interested in and what concepts and practices and standards they learn along the way is what they learn along the way because we want kids to be interested in doing this. So what we model in our PD is all about here's how you can take an idea and get it so that kids can bring their own cultures, their own interests, their own passions into the classroom, which is often not the case in in most of the subject areas, at least in my experiences that I've seen in schools. So this is a relatively novel approach and it works really well, not only for the self-efficacy of students, but also for teachers and whatnot. So what for you is sort of, I don't know, and it doesn't even have to be just for this paper, uh, but in general um, with the work you do, Like, what do you wish that researchers would focus on next? Like, what do we need to know next? I mean, there's so many directions that we could go in with this. Like, one of the big things that there's not enough discussion on is how does learning this impact 
what goes on in other subject areas. So mm -hmm. if we take away time in the school day, let's say even if we're lucky, we could take a, an hour away every day from school to focus on computer science and coding. That'd be wonderful. But that takes a, an hour away from something else. Maybe it's only like five minutes from several different subject areas or something, but that's still taking time away. So being able to see, does this have a negative impact or a positive impact or a neutral impact if you do this? Like if we find that we take away an hour a day working on computer science and it has no impact on the other subject areas, that's actually a good thing. Mm -hmm. Because then it's saying like, hey, this is at least not going to lower your test scores. This is what people really focus on. And I wish we didn't focus on that, but it is what it is. So it would be interesting to look at that, but it'd also be interesting to look at the structures of the structures. So how much time is being allocated for this? How are administrators going to assess this? Like in my previous district that I was working in, the admin were like, I have no idea what this is supposed to look like. I don't know how to program. I don't know what interest-driven learning is supposed to look like, et cetera. So I ended up creating like this crosswalk that was, it took like, we used the TAP rubric for mm -hmm. teacher evaluations. It was like, here's the original verbiage. Here's what it would look like if you walked into a coding classroom, et cetera. So like that kind of support really helped out teachers or administrators. But then what about like whether or not you have superintendent buy-in? What about the kind of support that we can do for having devices at home and actually having high quality internet access, which is something that we realized most kids and even teachers don't have because of COVID. So like looking at those impacts and how that has an effect. But if we were to zoom out even further, like all the districts that we work with, it focuses on district-wide implementation. So we are not mm -hmm. just doing an after-school coding program. We are not just doing the gifted and talented or honors, depending on what it's called in your district. Every kid in the district eventually through a rollout is going to do this. It might be all at once, or it might be, hey, the first year we're going to have like kindergarten and third grade, and then the next year be kinder and first, and then third and fourth, et cetera. So if we are going to be doing these models where we think that this should be really CS for all, well, what about the kids who don't want to go into CS to become a software engineer? Like mm -hmm. in what ways can we engage them that is meaningful to them? And the solution that we have come across is make it interest-driven, show how you can explore your passions and whatnot through it. That's great. And then what are the big takeaways that you hope that K-8 teachers and or administrators can take away from this and from you know, the work that you do at Boot Up? I guess if I, like the biggest thing that I've noticed over the last few years is you don't have to hire people who already know computer science. So there was like this idea of, oh, well, because teachers don't know this thing, we need to hire industry professionals to come in and teach this. And with respect to the industry professionals, like I'm sure they know a lot about computer science, but they might not know how to teach a kindergartner. They might not know how to work with a seventh grader who is like moody. Like it's, it's very <laughs> different than yeah. working in an environment and like understanding the content knowledge than to actually teach somebody how to, how to do it, especially a kid. Cause like, yeah, teaching an adult might be easier because you can uh, use some advanced concepts and, and whatnot, but teaching a kid who doesn't have as many experiences, that's, that's going to be harder. So the, the takeaway is that you can start with teachers who have been teaching for a long time in your district and even brand new teachers who are new to your district. But the best way to do that that we have found, and which is why we model our PD the way that we do, is through an approach that is over an extended period of time, the continuous professional development, constantly learning, constantly diving deeper into something. It doesn't have to be through a nonprofit like us or even a for-profit like somebody else. 
but it needs to be set aside time every week, ideally, every month, if if able, where you can dive deeper into this thing and approach it from a growth mindset of, we don't know how to do this yet, but we can learn how to do this over time through consistent efforts. Yeah, I like that. And I like that it's more a deep dive and not you have to know everything. So I think that can also be a block is like, oh, I, you know, I don't, (laughs) I have to know all the things. No, you know, just really focus on one language or one environment. Um, Yeah. You know, it could be robotics and just go down that, or it could be, you know, whatever, but just pick one and kind of go into it. And one that has a community around it, you know, is going to be much more helpful because if you have to do it on your own, at least there's another, you know, a community behind it. Yeah. It's baby steps. Like I, my superintendent in my former district would love to invite other district admin over our teachers just to see my classroom. And when they walk into the, they'd be like, wait, kids can pick between JavaScript, Swift, uh, Scratch and Ruby to code any project they want. And they were just overwhelmed. They're like, oh, there's no way I could do this. I'd have to learn several languages all at once. And it's like, no, 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 it was baby steps. Like every semester I added in one more option. Like I didn't start with several languages all at the same time. That would be a bit too much. So yeah, start small, dive deep. And you don't necessarily even have to learn other languages. I did it because... Scratch is great and like 80 some odd percent of the classes loved it, but some are like, you know, I really want to do music and Scratch isn't as great as like Sonic Pi, which allows you to code music with Ruby. Okay, cool. Let's add in Sonic Pi. And then it was, well, I want to create an app for my phone and it happens to be an iPhone and we have iPads. Okay, cool. Let's dive into Swift. So it just was following the interests of kids and it wasn't like, all right, I have to learn all of these several languages this weekend. That's not going to happen. Right. Right. And following the interests of the kids, like then you can also employ them in helping learn about this new thing because they already have that intrinsic motivation to want to do it as well. Yeah. And kids like I had it set up so that there was four steps if they needed help. So the first step was like, okay, check the the resources, like check the walkthrough, make sure you didn't skip a step. The next two steps were to ask a different peer in the classroom, like asking for help. And then the fourth step was, okay, you can ask me for some assistance. Often I would end up like, hey, uh, you want to know about player controls? Susie is amazing at player controls. Let's go over and talk to Susie and I kind of pair them up. But every now and then a kid would ask a question and be like, I honestly have no idea. Let's come back tomorrow and I'll spend some time researching it over the evening and let's chat about it. And then I would share that with them. Like, here's not only the solution that I came to, but here's also the process that I took to figure this out. So that way, when I'm not there to help you, like you've left this classroom or you're at home, you can figure out at least the steps. Oh, this is how Jared tried to solve this particular problem. Maybe I can take similar steps when I'm trying to solve a different problem later on. Nice. Well, this was awesome. I don't have any other questions. Anything else you want to end end on? So if the things that I was just kind of talking about in today's conversation sound interesting to you and you want to learn more about interest-driven learning in relation to CS and coding, there's literally hundreds, if not thousands of resources on my website, jaredoleary.com. And then there's also the free curriculum at bootuppd.org that I continue to create. So I highly recommend checking those out and uh, sharing with others. I link to it in PD that I do over the summer with K-8 educators and um, we get good feedback from them as well. So thank you so much. And thank you so much for taking time with me today. I really appreciate it.